Thank you, David C. Amen. Well, do you believe that our Savior can move mountains? Yes. Uh, if you believe in the power of prayer, then you just sang the right song, right? And uh, so, in fact, that's what we'll be talking about today. Believe it or not, in, in two weeks, uh, in, in two weeks, we are together as a church, we're going to be embarking on a 40-day journey. How many of you said, I didn't know about that, and I don't know if I can do that, I don't have time, right? Well, actually, later on this week, I'm going to go with, with, uh, with nine people, and we're going to uh, have, embark on an eight-day journey in, in uh, canoes in the wilderness, uh, about four hours north of, of Toronto. Looking forward to that. But I'll tell you what, that's not the type of journey I'm talking about. In, in, in two weeks, we're going to begin with what we're going to call a, a, the 40 Days of Prayer. Uh, we're going to start on August 4th, and we're going to go through September 12th. And as a church... We're going we're gonna to pray together for 40 days. In fact, we'll be passing out in two weeks uh, a, a prayer guide that looks just like this. And, and, uh, and my, my desire is for every single person here, every person that's a part of our congregation to be involved in this and to, and to pray for 40 days. Uh, so without raising your hands, just maybe with an amen, how many of you are already signed up for this? All right, so about a third of you. All right, I got my work cut out for me. Uh, so... Now, I would really love to see everybody involved in this, and, uh, and, and, and it's an important thing. You know, for some of you, as I say that, I think it's just, um, it sounds like something that's very exciting, and you can't wait for it, and there are people that, that have, as we've talked about this, that are already looking forward to it, and, and they're even cheating by praying ahead of time, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but that's awesome, right? That's, that's exactly what we're here for. Um, but there might be others who feel maybe a little bit different uh, and maybe feel like it, 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 you need some convincing to, uh, to really be on board uh, for this for 40 days of, of prayer. And, and so I have to ask myself, well, why is that? And I believe that some people struggle to maintain an effective prayer life because for one reason or another, they don't have a long history of answered prayers. You don't, for one reason or another, there's not this long history of answered prayers. Because I am convinced that if we, if, if we understood the power of prayer, we would all be prayer warriors, right? And by the way, there are some prayer warriors in this room right now. It's amazing some of the, some of the prayer warriors that we have in, in this room. I've had people pray for, I've asked, I've gone to specific individuals and said, would you pray for this specific situation in the, in the life of a family member because it's, it's, looking, it's looking bad. And I know that person would pray because she would come back to me and she would say, hey, how is, how's the situation going with this situation? And, and it, it was amazing to see a 180-degree turnaround in that situation. We have prayer warriors here. We have, we have great warriors of, of the faith. You know what I'd really like to see, though? I would like to see 300, 400 prayer warriors, right? Wouldn't that be awesome just to see... Yeah, you can clap for that. Prayer warriors it would be an awesome thing to see. And, uh, and so I think, though, that if we understood the power of prayer, just a couple weeks ago, a, a remake of a Disney movie called Aladdin came out. And in, the, in the, the idea of Aladdin, whether you've seen the old one or the new one, this part's the same. The idea is, is that there's a genie who gives you three wishes, right? And, 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 and as kids, I just remember even uh, back with the original Aladdin, that shows my age, but... Um, just thinking, well, what, would it, what would it be like if I had three wishes? And how many, if you're honest, would, would have at least stopped to think at one point in your, in, uh, in your life, oh, what would I wish for if I could have three wishes? Anyone? 
Again, about a third of you. Man, that's crazy. I, I, I thought we would all do that, right? Just the, the idea. And we start thinking, what would it be like? Oh, I would love to have this. I would love to have that. I would wish for this. And of course, we, we always say, I would love to wish for more wishes, right? And nope, that's against the rules. But you know, that, that pales in comparison to actual, the actual power of prayer. And yet, we struggle in our prayer lives. We struggle to pray consistently. We struggle uh, to get on our knees. And, and so the question, why is that? And, uh, and so that's what I'd like to do today. I, I, want, I want to ask you, have you ever prayed and prayed for something and nothing happened? Have you ever been there? You just prayed and prayed and nothing happened. Or maybe the outcome wasn't what you were hoping for. And when you have some, of, some situations like that in your prayer history, it kind of takes away the motivation where, ah, I don't know if I'm going to spend as much time praying for things in the future. So today, what I'd like to do is to talk about six potential reasons why your prayers aren't being answered. So I'm going to ask the question, why aren't my prayers being answered? And there's six things. And if you have the, the notes from the bulletin, you can follow along in there. And so today, we're going to be hopping around in different texts. Is that all right? We're going to kind of... Uh, hop around in different texts of the Bible. But the number one, number one reason here uh, that I found from reading the scripture, why our prayers aren't being, an a- being answered. Number one, you don't have a healthy relationship with Christ. You don't have a healthy relationship with Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 15, and let's look at verse 7. Jesus was talking here, and, and he's talking about prayer. And in John chapter 15, verse 7, he said this, If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. If you just take the second half of that verse, that sounds like the unlimited genie bottle, right? The unlimited wishes. Think about that. It says, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, before some of you are thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Pastor Dave's getting ready to go charismatic on us here. Let's look at the verse in context here. But think about that promise first. You will ask for what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Ask of whom? In context, ask of God. We're just talking about prayer. But notice what it says at the beginning. There's a, uh, a condition at the beginning of this. It says, if you abide in me. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. That word abide means to live with, right? To dwell with. To, to, to live with. In fact, that's why when we sometimes refer to our home as our humble abode, right? It comes from the same word. And so when you think about that word, the idea of living with Christ, um, the question that I have for you is, do you live with Christ? Or do you just visit him on Sundays? Think about that for a moment. Do you live with Christ? Or do you just visit him on Sundays? To live with somebody means that you're seeing them all the time. You're interacting with, with them. I live with my, with my wife, Monica. So we wake up. We, we talk to each other. We talk about what we're doing for the day. Uh, we, we will oftentimes eat breakfast, at least sit at the same couch or something, right? So a lot of times we, because uh, the kids aren't usually up yet. And, and, and we spend time. And then it's, I'll see you at lunch. And at lunch, I come home most days and get to see her. And I'm interacting with her then after work and, and so on. It's, we're, there's a lot of interaction going on because we, we live together. I would, would like to ask you if you could describe your relationship with Christ as abiding with Christ. Or do you just visit with him so, every so often? See how things are going. Yeah, I'll go to church on Sunday. See, see what Jesus has been up to this week. Right? Or do you live with Jesus? Are you talking with Jesus? Are you waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, 
here's what I got going on in my day today. I'm a little nervous about that. I need your help. Or, or Jesus, I've got this going on. This person at work is driving me crazy, and I'm trying to show the patience that you showed towards people who persecuted you, but I'm really struggling here. Help me. Give me the courage to show patience today to this person at work. Are you, are you abiding with Jesus, living with him, interacting with him multiple times throughout the day? Or do you just come on occasion? If you don't have a healthy relationship with Christ, then you can't expect him to, to respond every time that you're asking for, for a favor from him. You have to build that relationship with Jesus Christ. So when I think of applications of this, I've got two for this one. Most of, most of them I'll only have one. But, uh, um, but for this one I have two because... There could be two reasons why you might not have a healthy relationship with Christ. So I'd say application number one, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, start one today. There could be people in this room right now that the reason that you haven't had experienced a good prayer life is because you don't know Jesus Christ personally yet. And maybe you have uh, an understanding of who he is and you know things about Christ, but you've never actually introduced yourself to him. You've never taken that step to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your own life. And if you haven't done that, then, then you don't have a relationship with him. And if you don't have that relationship with him, you can't expect him to be answering your prayers. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, and he loves you. But if you don't know him personally, your prayers aren't being answered. He's not listening to, to your prayers. I mean, he hears and he understands everything. He knows everything that's going on. But... He really, he listens to the prayers of his sons and daughters. You know what? I'm a son of God. I don't consider that anything that I've attained. That's a gift from, from God to me, that I could be called the sons of God. Wow, that's an amazing thing. That means I have access to my father. Think about that. Who's my father? You ever heard the song, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills? My God owns way more than that. I have access to him. He's my father. I have a relationship with him. I'll tell you what, if there's anyone in here today that would say, you know what, if I were to die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I don't know for sure if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Don't leave today without talking to me. There's some men and women in the back too. They have a little lanyard that says, uh, says ask me. And it just go to them and, uh, before or after, after the service. Say, I, I need to know for sure. They can show you from this book right here how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Know for sure that you're you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now many would say, but Pastor, I have a relationship with Christ. I know that I'm saved, but it's not really healthy. So I would say, if your relationship with Christ is not healthy, then start investing time into it. What do you do when you have a relationship that you want to build? You simply spend time with that person. And, and so when you want to build a relationship with your spouse, you spend time with your spouse. If you want to build a relationship with someone at work, maybe you're a mentor at work, you spend time with that person. And I would say spend time talking to God. You know, it's it, just to give a little insight into my own life. Uh, uh, most mornings right now, uh, most mornings sometime between 7.40 and 8.15 when it's real quiet here, I love to come here. Actually, I come. I sit right here and I sit on these stairs and it's awesome because there's nobody in here. Wait, that sounds bad, actually pastor saying it's awesome when nobody's in here but you get my you get my drift right I, it, but it is awesome it's coming here it's quiet and there's nobody here and just spend some time talking to god saying god this is what's going on in my day these are the things i have on my plate today uh help me through these things uh i've spent time confessing sins right there i've spent time begging for mercy i've spent time asking for wisdom 
right there. And, and it's a, it, it's, it builds my relationship with Christ. And when I think about what all he's done for me, and, and I look around and I, and, it, and I remember all of your faces, and I think of what God's doing in your life, it, it's a humbling thing. And I love it. I build my relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you that, that uh, I would encourage you not to come right here, because this is my spot. <laughs> but I would encourage you, find your spot. Go somewhere where you can just spend time talking to God, spend time sharing your, your worries, expressing your appreciation, and communicating your hurts, and building that relationship with Jesus Christ. When you abide with him, what does it say? He answers prayers. He answers your prayers. You want to see your prayer life grow? Just start talking with him. That's number one. Number one, you don't have a healthy relationship with Christ, and you can, you can fix that. Number two, the second reason sometimes that we... We struggle having our prayers uh, being answered. Number two, you have unsettled business with a brother. You have unsettled business with a brother. Turn with me to Mark 11. Look at verse 25. And Jesus is talking here, uh, once again, in, in Mark 11:25, And he says this. He says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Why? that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Let that sink in for a moment. Think about that for a moment. If you allow an obstacle to, to come between you and a brother in Christ, and you're put, you put an obstacle saying, you know what, I don't want to have a relationship with this brother in Christ, I want, and, and, you, and you allow whatever offense uh, to be there, and you are not willing to forgive that offense, what does this verse imply? It implies, then, that that obstacle will also become an obstacle in your relationship with God. Am I reading into the verse, or is that what it says? That's what it says. And so if I don't allow that, and, and, and it makes sense when you think about it, because that brother in Christ is also a son of God, right? And if you're unwilling to, uh, to have a relationship with his son, I'm sorry, anyone who says to me, Oh, Pastor Dave, I love you, but I hate your kids. I'm sorry, you don't love me. We're not good, right? We're, 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 there's, there's an obstacle between us now. Why? Because I love my kids. Well, they may be imperfect. No, they are imperfect, right? Is that safe to say? I can say that from the pulpit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they are imperfect. But you know what? I love them. And if you've got a problem with them, you have a problem with me. And, and here we have, in, very clear in Scripture, when you have a problem with a brother and you are unwilling to forgive your, your brother his trespasses, then you're putting an obstacle where God's saying, all right, I'm not going to forgive you your trespasses. Now, just to be clear, to understand it from a theological perspective, um, we're not talking about losing salvation. We're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about forgiving, in this context, it's the forgiving of trespasses in the relationship between us and God. And that relationship is still hurt. That relationship is damaged. There's no sin that we could do that would stop us from becoming sons of God. But there are sins that we can do that will hurt that relationship with God. Make, make sense? And that's what we find here in this context. And by the way, it goes both ways. So if we'll we'll uh, turn back just a couple of uh, books to Matthew chapter 5. Again, Jesus was talking here. And I find this very interesting, especially as we're preparing for communion today. It says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I find that very interesting when, when God says, oh, you want to come and you want to you 
to give a gift to me, and you've got a problem with a brother, go fix that problem first. Then you can come deal with me. Why? That relationship, that offense in that relationship has become an, an obstacle in the relationship between us and God. I think I find it interesting here that in either case, whether you have done something to offend your brother, as it says in Matthew, or if they've done something against you and you have refused to forgive them, then your communion with God is obstructed and your prayers are hindered. Wow. How many times have we gone to prayer and asking God for something and we don't realize that the reason that, that God's not answering those prayers is because we're doing things out of order. He wants us to take care of our relationship with our brother first and then deal with that first. I understand sometimes you, you may have caused an offense and you ask for forgiveness and that person doesn't, offend or doesn't forgive you. Okay, at least you've done your, your duty. You've got to do what you can. But if you haven't done your part in the resolution of the, of the conflict with the brother in Christ, it's hindering your prayers. I'm not the one telling you that. This was Jesus who said that. Jesus is the one who said that. So in either case, what we find is those prayers are, are being hindered. Application to that, pretty simple. Do your part to resolve conflicts right away. You know, these relationships matter. Right? When we bring up some new people in front of our church and say, hey, we have new members of the church, we're excited for that. Those relationships now matter. I mean, all relationships matter, but they matter in a way. We're to forgive each other. We're to work through our conflicts. Say, but that person sinned. Yeah, guess what? We're all sinners, right? And there are going to be times I'm going to offend people, right? I'm a sinner, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you to give it, give, extend forgiveness to me, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it. And we all claim to love Jesus. And you know what? Maybe sometimes someone might offend me too. And it doesn't matter. I need to forgive you, Right? That's what the, the body of Christ is about. And God says, if, if you do that, your prayers are going to be answered. You're going to have a prayer life that is different. That's the second reason. You have, you have uncivil business with a brother. Number three, maybe you've been disobedient. You've been disobedient. Look at 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 21 and 22, we read this. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward, towards God. And whatever we ask... We receive from him. Whoa, whoa, take a double double take there. What does that say? And whatever we ask, what? No, no I, want your, I want your input. Whatever we ask, what? We'll receive from him. Think about that. That's a quite, a, quite a statement. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, when we're disobedient, we cannot approach the throne room of God with confidence, like it says in this verse. Have you ever done that? You had a need, a need comes up, and you know you have to go to the Lord because you cannot solve this issue yourself, and you go to the Lord, but you know what you've been doing, and you know you've been doing things that have been displeasing to the Lord. How do you feel in that moment when you're asking God for help? It's a tough time, isn't it? If we're honest, I think we've all been there, and our hearts condemn us. Our hearts say, Dave, you have no right to ask for that. You have no right to ask for that. Not the way you've got this unconfessed sin. The Holy Spirit's been telling you about it, and you've done nothing about it. And then what a, what a release it is when you say, all right, Lord, I surrender. I surrender all. You confess that sin, 
And all of a sudden, what does it say according to this verse? You can go to the throne boldly. It's the same word there, with confidence. You can have confidence and go before the throne room of God. I, I find this very interesting, especially now we've been studying the, the, the book of Revelation, and we see how awesome the throne room of God actually is. And, and, and in my mind, I think, wow, I, I, I don't think I could make it within a mile of that place without just falling on my knees because it's such an awesome thing. And according to this, we can go boldly to the, to, to the Lord, go boldly to him and say, Lord, I have these requests for you. And here are the requests. And, our, and, and God can answer those things. I think some of you, before embarking on this 40-day journey, if you really want to see God do some amazing things, you need to spend some time alone with God, confessing sins, and just getting right with God. Amen? That's the application for this one, is, is very, spend some time in confession. I don't mean in a booth talking to a man. I'm talking about spending time on your knees talking to God and confessing your sins. I'll tell you one thing that you'll find about God, he is more merciful than we can ever believe. I don't know what your sins are, I don't know what you're struggling with, and, and in a room this size, there are people probably struggling with all sorts of different things, whether it's hatred, or, or, or pornography, or, or gossip, or whatever it might be, you take that to the Lord, and he's going to show you forgiveness, because there's no sin that's bigger than the price paid for that sin on the cross when Jesus died for you. Amen? And, there, and, and forgiveness is right there. Spend some time in confession. It's a beautiful thing. Number four. Let's look at the, the fourth reason why our prayers aren't being answered many times. Number four, you're praying for the wrong things. You're praying for the wrong things. Look at James chapter four. James is, I, lo- I love James. He's just a wise person. In fact, many people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, but James chapter four, verse three, he writes this. You ask... And do not receive. He's talking about the very situation we're talking about today. People, they ask God for things, but they don't receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on pleasures. So James is saying that the reason that you're you're not having your prayers answered sometimes is because you're just praying for the wrong things. You're praying for selfish things instead of praying for the right things. I read this week that that there was an elementary class of, of a Christian school. And they had an assignment called Dear God. And so they asked the, the children to write whatever they wanted, but it had to begin with Dear God. So they're writing some kind of prayer, right? And uh, these were some of the responses. Debbie, age seven, wrote, Dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. <laughs> Jimmy writes this, Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. Norma, age eight, said, Dear God, how many angels are there in heaven? I would like to be the first kid in my class to know the answer. <laughs> David, age seven, wrote, dear, dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my father? Thank you. That wasn't me, by the way, but it was a David. Angela says, Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. You know, we laugh at these, right? We do, I mean, they're, they're, they're comical and they're, they're cute, if we're honest. Uh, we laugh at these. But even as adults, we kind of pray like this, don't we? When you think about it. Dear God, please give me that promotion at work so that I can have this or this or that. Or dear God, please convince my wife that I'm right on this issue 
So we don't fight with our sisters as much, but we fight with, uh, with our family. Or, Lord, please don't let my car break down. I've prayed that one before. We tend to drive old cars, don't we? So, you know, and we pray for those kinds of things. And, and, and what do we do? We're jumping straight to what we want. We jump straight to what we want. And, uh, in fact, I, you might remember a statistic that I talked about uh, sometime in the last year where we looked at, at, uh, at people's prayer patterns. And there was actually a higher percentage of people who pray to win the lottery than there are people who pray to win the lost. Think about that. There are more Christians praying to win the lottery than they are praying to win the lost. Wow, that's a sad state of affairs. And, and, we, and, I, and we wonder, why don't we all get our prayers answered? Well, we can't all win the, the lottery for one. <laughs> First of all, I hope you're not playing the lottery. My, my, I call it the tax on people who are bad at math. Right? That's the lie, isn't it? It's true. It's a tax on people who are bad at math. And I'll tell you what, we pray selfishly. We pray selfishly. I want to take a little break from what we're talking about right here just to give a, 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 a little extra here. In Matthew 6.33, we learn the real priority of our prayers. And this all goes to how do we pray correctly. And, and there's three things in order. Look at them here. Jesus was teaching us to pray. And he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You Think about that for a moment. First the kingdom of God, then righteousness, then the things. And when you look at that, it makes sense. So the real order of the priority, what are we, what are we supposed to be praying for uh, uh, when, we, when, we, when we pray for those things? Number one, we pray for the advancement of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. What are, we, what are we seeking first? We want to see the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if that were the first thing in our priority, I don't think we would be praying so much to win the lottery. Right? We would be praying for the lost. We'd be praying for the things that, that matter. And uh, the second thing it says is pray for, or, or, or seek first the kingdom of God, second, and his righteousness. So number two, Pray for what would make or what would help you become more righteous. This is a different way to pray, isn't it? Instead of just praying, praying, Lord, give me that promotion at work. You might say something like, Lord, if you give me this promotion, help me to keep my priorities right. Or maybe you'll even ask some different questions when you're praying and say, Lord, will getting that promotion help me become more righteous? And you know what the answer is? Maybe. Maybe it will. Maybe it will if, if that means you're going to have more influence and you're going to have more opportunities to, have, to talk to people and, and it's going to give you opportunities to share the gospel with them. It could be. It could be that that's God's will. Or it could mean that you're going to work more hours, be homeless, so you're not going to see your kids as much or your wife as much. and You're not going to see what's going on in their day-to-day life and now you're going to start missing some of those big events in your life and what you think is going to bring you happiness by having a little bit more money is actually going to... Going to going to create an, an environment where your family's not doing well and maybe even your kid's going off in wrong directions and you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Oftentimes it's the things that we want that are the things that are going to destroy us the most. Isn't that true? We see it with kids when they, you know, the kids want that, oh I want to take that, you know, from home as a pet. And you say, that's a wasp. Right? You don't. <laughs> it's not a great pet. Right. Why? But yet we don't recognize it in ourselves. 
oh, if I just had this promotion, then I could, I could get that boat, or I could do this, or I could afford these vacations, or whatever it might be. And God's saying, no, those things aren't going to make you happy. So seek first, what's going to advance the kingdom of heaven? Secondly, well, what's going to help me become more righteous? What's going what's to help me there? And then we pray for the things that we need, and then all of these things will be added unto you. you know, this is why Paul, remember what Paul, when he was in prison, he wrote the book of Philippians from prison. So when Paul was in Philippians, in, in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 9, he wrote this. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. What would we be praying for in prison? Falsely accused of something. We're in prison for being falsely accused. You know what I think would be towards the top of my list, if I'm honest? To be praying for my release from prison. Anyone with me? Would you be praying for my release from prison? I hope so. What's Paul praying for first? He's praying for the people that he's ministering to. He's praying for the people who are going to receive this letter. And he's saying, my prayer is that your love will abound more and more, that your knowledge is going to grow in the, in the word. You're going to be able to discern between right and wrong. I'm praying for your righteousness. He's praying for the advancement of the kingdom. In fact, just a few verses later, we see his attitude because he considers his prayers answered. Look at verse 12. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What's he excited for? The advancement of the kingdom. He goes on to say, So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. It's like, This is awesome. Who'd have thought it? But prison ministry is going great. Well, God had to put him in prison to do that prison ministry. And from there, the gospel continues to spread. And by the way, when it was time for him to leave the prison, God had no problem getting him out of prison, leading the jailer to, to himself along the way. Isn't God awesome? Isn't prayer awesome? While he had people praying for him, God was saying, oh, hold up, I'm going to answer that. In my time, there's still some people that need to get saved in this prison because I've got bigger plans than you'd even imagine. And all those people, those Christians that were praying for Paul, got their prayers answered in powerful ways. In fact, more powerful than any ways that they had thought. They thought they were just wanting their best missionary to be out of jail. God was saying, I'm going to create a bunch of missionaries first. God's awesome. He knows what he's doing. I think for most of us, though, we would consider the prayer answered only when Paul was released from prison. But nope, God was still at work in prison. You know, so I look at this and say, you know what? We pray for the wrong things. Application is don't pray selfishly, pray righteously. Don't pray selfishly, pray righteously. You know, it's a famous, famous verse in James says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Boy, the, the prayers of a righteous person have huge impact. How do you pray righteously? Well, just like it says, you confess your trespasses to one another because sometimes our prayers are being hindered because we've got sin in our lives. We also pray for one another. Why? Because we have to pray for each other's righteousness above our own selfish needs. And then, then, he starts to, then we start to see the healing and 
the, uh, the, the great availing of, of, of God's answers to our prayers. Don't pray selfishly. Pray righteously. Number five, and I'm hoping that, I know that not all of these, we, you won't be able to think through all five of these all week, but I'm, I'm praying that with each person here that God will at least prick your heart with one or two of these. Number five, you aren't looking for God's answers. I think sometimes we don't think God has been answering our prayers because we're only looking for the answers that we've already prescribed. Like, I want God to answer this prayer in this way. And so we start looking for that answer. And sometimes God is answering our prayers in a different way than we were even thinking. In fact, that's what it says here. If we look at uh, uh, Colossians 4.2, Paul wrote this. He said, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Being vigilant in it. What does it mean to be vigilant? You know what a vigil is? It's a person who stands at the, at, a, at, the, at the watchtower and he watches to see if enemies would come. That's where the word comes from, the, this idea. So it's the, the, watch, the watchman who looks for enemies so that he can warn the people inside the city if enemies are coming. So what does that person have to do? He has to watch and he's looking. Paul says we should do that in our prayers. When we pray, we should be vigilant. We should be looking for the answers. We should be looking for how is it that, that God might be answering this prayer? We have to watch carefully for answers. And, uh, you know, Paul could have easily thought that his prayers were being ignored when he was in the, the prison, right? We've been studying the book of Revelation. It's, it could be the same for John. Where was John writing the book of Revelation? He was, he was writing from exile on the Isle of Patmos, persecuted because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. He's by himself, and he could be saying, Lord, I just want to get out there and do great things for you. And God's saying, you don't need to go out there and do great things for me. I have a book I want you to write, and that book is going to cause all sorts of people for thousands of years to do great things. Paul had no, or, uh, John had no idea how big the vision was for God, and that God was answering his prayers, even in ways that he wasn't expecting. He, 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 didn't, he didn't expect God to answer the way. He said, there's no way that John knew that we would be studying the book of Revelation 2,000 years later. There's no way that Paul could have known that we would be studying his books 2,000 years later. Sometimes we're not looking for those answers. You know, think, when you think of a prayer for a financial need, you know, sometimes we're saying, all right, Lord, I, I've got this great financial need. I need you to come through. And we're waiting to hear, the, you know, we've heard the stories of how someone just shows up with the money and here you go. And it happens to be the exact right amount. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's God saying, hey, I gave you a side job opportunity. Why? Maybe, maybe there's someone at the side job that needs to hear about Christ. And so he's giving you this opportunity, but he answers it in a way that you're not expecting. It reminds me of an old joke that I remember hearing when I was a kid about uh, this person who's caught into a flood, and he's, he's caught in this flood, and it's, and it's getting higher and higher, and everyone says, hey, um, we need to get out of town because this area is going to flood. And he says, nope, God will save me. And the waters came in and came up to his, into his house, and so he had to get up onto his roof, and, and finally one of his neighbors comes over with a, with a canoe and says, hey, hop in, buddy. I mean, we've got to get out of here. And he says, no, no, I don't need the canoe. God's going to save me. And then, uh, then later, someone comes in with a, with a rescue boat and says, hey, you've got to get out, because by this point, he's, he's, he's just standing on his chimney. No, God will save me. And then a helicopter comes by, a rescue helicopter, and they, they lower a line to him. He says, no, no, I don't need it. God's going to save me, right? And then he dies. 
And he stands before the pearly gates. I know this isn't theologically correct, but, um, but he stands before the pearly gates, right? And St. Peter, all this is made up, right? But St. Peter says, hey, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here yet. And he said, and he said well, I, I was waiting for God to save me. He's like, well, according to my records here, we sent you two boats and a helicopter. And so and I, I understand that in reality, there, no, God will never be surprised. There's nothing we can do that would surprise God. I get it. But sometimes I do, I do think we act like that person. When God gives us answers and he sends these answers to our prayers, but we don't recognize them because we want the answers in the way that we want the answers. And God's saying, no, sometimes the answers are things that you have to look for. You have to be vigilant in your prayers and looking for it. Could this be the answer? Could this be what God's doing? And, and being willing to look for the answers that God gives for us. Lastly, uh, or, or the application here is look for answers outside of what you were wanting or expecting. Look for answers that go beyond what you were wanting or expecting. The sixth and final one that I found in, in, in for us this week is, is this. Your prayers might not be answered because you aren't thankful when God does answer your prayers. Look at Philippians 4, 6 again, written by Paul from the jail. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How are we supposed to bring our requests? With thanksgiving. Be thankful when things go our way? No. What does it say? Right there. But in everything, give thanks. And so we need to be thankful in everything. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been generous to someone and then they didn't appreciate it? Have you ever been there? You're, you're like, you, you, you did something. It was a sacrifice and you sacrificed for somebody and they didn't appreciate it at all. I've been there before. I, in fact, one of those was on an Algonquin trip. Back in our old trips, we had, we had very little food. Now we eat great. But, now, but back then in our early days, we, we had our whole meal, I mean, not a meal, eight days worth of food was in a pack about this big, right? And I remember one day I, I, I gave up a portion of my lunch. It might not sound like a lot to you, but I gave up a Fig Newton, right? Now, that was a third of my lunch, just so you know. That was my whole lunch, three Fig Newtons. And I gave one away to a guy because he was just, he was hungry. And I gave it to him, and uh, I could tell he was struggling. And I said, all right, it's no, no big deal. And then, then uh, that night, we get to our campsite. We're like, all right, we need some firewood. He went straight to his tent went to sleep, and he wasn't sick, just went to his tent, went to sleep, so it didn't help, and then when it came time for dinner, we get all of it ready, we're like, hey, hey buddy, uh, you gonna eat? Can someone just bring it to my tent? Why, are you not feeling well? Are you sick? So, no, I just don't feel like doing it, I'm just, and, uh, and that, that lack of appreciation, and it, I remember at one point in that week, I'm not going to say this was a proper response, but in the flesh, I got so mad at him, and I said, I want my Fig Newton back. <laughs> right? Now, I, I said that out of selfishness. I, I, it was a fleshly response. I, I wasn't being appreciative. But you know, there's a sense in which this happens with God, where God feels the same way, that when we don't show appreciation for what he's doing, he's less likely to be generous. I think for us, it's, be, it, it's because we're just not always generous people. With, with God, I don't think it's that he's not generous. With God, I think it's that he simply doesn't want to encourage ungratefulness in us. 
And, and in fact, parents who believe that the way to appease a child is to just give the child what they want all the time, what happens with those children over time? You know which children I'm talking about. You see them at the stores all the time when they're, they're screaming because they want more. What happens? They become teens who just want more. And then when they leave the parents' home, they become adults who just want more. And, and it gets worse and worse. And God is wiser than that. God knows us well enough to say, hey, if we're not going to be grateful for the things that he's given to us, then he's going to have to pull back on what he can give to us. God wants to give to us. And I've been there as a parent where our kids, we, I'm a parent, I love my kids, I want to give them something, but I can't because I know they won't be grateful yet. And we need to build that gratefulness first so that we can give to them. Does that make sense? Sometimes God is pulling back some of that blessing because we're not ready to receive it because it would just encourage ungratefulness in us. Application then, always praise God when, for the answers to our prayers. Always praise Him as He answers those prayers. You know, when you look at those six things, I, I doubt that all six are going to apply to every single person in here. But I also doubt that there's a single person in here, myself included, that could look at this list and say, well, I've got all of those down. That's why my prayer life is perfect. But you don't have to look at those and say, boy, there's at least something. So I'm going to ask you right now, by way of invitation, I want you to think through. I want you to think through and pick at least one or two of those things. If you have to write it down so you, don't, so you remember what it is, write it down. And in a few moments, uh, we're going to have a time of, of communion. And, and we have that moment of silence when we're passing out the elements. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I want you to do business with God in one of these six areas. And my hope today is that we have 100% participation in our invitation today. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to do business right from where you're at. But I want to fi finish the sermon with a story that I think will will be an encouragement in prayer and why, what are we striving for by getting these things right. I apologize in advance to, uh, to my family because this is a story that when I was on furlough, they heard every week. But I want to tell it to you. All right? And it's a story of Bob. This is, comes from uh, a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat by John Ortberg. And it goes like this. He writes, One of my favorite adventures in prayer involves Doug Coe who has a ministry in Washington, D.C. that mostly involves people in politics and statecraft. Doug became acquainted with Bob, an insurance salesman who was completely unconnected with any government circles. Bob became a Christian and began to meet with Doug to learn about his new faith. And one day, Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, Ask whatever you will in my name and you shall receive it. We read that verse today. He says, Is that really true, Bob demanded? Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You have to, to take it in context of the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer. But yes, it really is true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great, Bob said. Then I've got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. Well, it's kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down to one country, Doug advised. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Uh, um, do you know anyone in Kenya, Doug asked? No. Ever been to Kenya? No, Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. So Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. Think about it. By the way, I'm not offering this to right now. I'm just, this, I'm just reading this. 
says, but if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug is a creative guy. Bob began to pray, and for a long while, nothing happened. Then one night, he was at a dinner in Washington, and the people around the table explained what they did for a living. And one woman said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. And Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. But he could not keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He had not said much up to this point, and now he pounded her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in my country, the woman said to Bob, overwhelmed by his sudden barrage of questions. Have you been to Kenya before? No. You know someone in Kenya? No. Then how do you happen to be so curious? Well, someone is kind of paying me $500 to pray. So Bob asked if, or so she asked Bob if he would like to come and visit Kenya to tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write to large pharmaceutical companies describing to them the vast need he had seen. He reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unused. Why not send them to this place in Kenya? He would ask. And some of them did. This orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. And the woman called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters you wrote. We would love to fly you back over and have a big party. Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. While he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country. And he offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. And in the course of the tour, they saw a prison, and Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. They're political prisoners, he was told. That's a bad idea, Bob said brightly. You should let them out. Bob finished the tour and flew back home. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Think about that. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him you should let him out. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end. But now the prisoners had been released, and the State Department was told it was largely because of Bob. So the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days? Well, he worked on this very important task. So Bob, (laughs) I love this, sorry, I get choked up. So Bob, who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane once more and flew back to Kenya where he prayed and asked God to give wisdom for a leader of a nation as he selected his new government. And all this happened because one man was willing to get out of the boat. Isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, this is what I want for us as a church, as individuals, as believers. I want for us to be able to understand and experience the power of prayer. Because I don't think we get it yet. 
I don't think we get it. I think this is why. I think this is why. And so my prayer.